Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend, and we kicked things off uh, here in September with a look at the news going on, lots going on with biofuels, and uh, we're going to get several updates today. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, and Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board, will be joining us as we continue to wait for a big announcement on biofuels from the White House. Uh, still waiting for details. It looks like there's something going on as far as selling more ethanol perhaps to Brazil. We'll get more reaction to that a little bit later on. So much of the news, of course, focused on Hurricane Dorian and the impact of that big storm. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson will be with us for an update and tell us about uh, Midwest weather as we are into the month of September and keeping a close watch on those uh, frost dates and things like that as we need a good finish to this growing season for this late developing crop. So we'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson a little bit later on. But uh, let's start things off. Uh, look at the news. Todd Neely from DTN joins us. Todd, thank you for joining us. And we kind of get going now after the Labor Day holiday. A lot to be looking at. And a lot of it does have to do with biofuels. A lot of people wondering, what will the president announce? Uh, he's kind of, it's been uh, talked about a lot. And uh, we keep getting these little bits and pieces. It's going to be great for the ethanol industry. But we don't have any details. Right. No, we really don't, Mike. You know, and I think... Uh... From what we're hearing, it's a possibility yet at this time that uh, the president is announcing a, a large change or a big package, whatever he calls it. Uh, it might come on some sort of a trip to the Midwest. Um, that's just some things we've heard, but I don't know. If there's really no news on that at this point as to when or how that might be announced. But it definitely, uh, you know, we've been keeping a close eye on that as well. And, uh, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up are these small refinery waivers. And I think... Uh, you know, we have heard reports that uh, the president's considering uh, making up for some of those waivers in the 2021 RFS volumes, which, as you know, is, is well over a year from now. Um, and I suspect that if that's part of the package, I'm not sure uh, people in the Midwest are going to be real happy by that. But there's a whole lot of moving point, uh, parts on this, and uh, I guess we just have to wait and see. Yeah, we get these little bits and pieces from the White House, and it seems like Every time something comes out to how good the package is going to be for ethanol, there's always this line in there that says something about while still saving or protecting our small refineries. So it's obvious he's still trying to, you know, keep both sides happy here. Yeah, and that's and that's the that's the situation the president faces. You know, he has a needle to thread here, um, and I suspect that, you know, what we have been hearing is that the waivers. Uh, that EPA is, has granted for 2018 and supposedly are going to remain in place. Uh, that's one of the little tidbits that's come out. Um, you know, and that, that really doesn't do a whole lot to help the situation for ethanol. You know, uh, even before all these waivers started coming out and, uh, in 2016, the, the industry's been fighting low profit margins for, for some time. Uh, you know, we've been seeing all kinds of closures and, and, and uh, cuts in production and so on, and I, I suspect those things are going to continue in the near term, but um, I think what people are really probably hoping for is that uh, if the president makes an announcement that it might include 
uh, reallocating some of those lost gallon, gallons. We've had over 4 billion uh, biofuels gallons that have not been uh, either blended or, or bought in, in RINs uh, in the market. And so, um, yeah, it, it's really the devil will be in the details of this of this uh, proposal, and it's really uh, really kind of a guessing game at the moment. And you mentioned plant closures. It seems like almost every week we get the announcement of another ethanol plant if not shutting down, at least uh, slowing down. Right, yeah. And uh, what was it, last week, um, a plant in Mankato, Minnesota, it was reported that a 51-million-gallon plant there uh, was, was closing down. Uh, and you're right. And one of the things that we're seeing from this, with these plants closing and production cutting back, we are seeing um, ethanol stocks around the country begin to dip. Uh, and that's probably a good thing for the market, um, honestly, uh, the ethanol industry has been overproducing for quite some time, and uh, you hear talk within the industry itself of, of companies recognizing that and realizing that that's one of the market fundamentals that's really uh, making life tough on ethanol. And then you throw in the, the waivers, and it, it just compounds it. And so um, we just kind of wait and see, but I suspect we're going to see a number of closures and a number of other uh, production slowdowns yet to come. Well, another big story, USDA announcing it will investigate the cattle market moves after the uh, big uh, plant fire, that Tyson beef plant in Kansas. What do you know on that? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Secretary Purdue last week announced that they're, they're going to investigate, you know, the market moves that went on when that plant closed. Uh, we've seen cattle trade go down quite quite a bit since that happened, and, and one of the things uh, you know, the reason behind that is with that plant not up and running, uh, you know, beef supplies become tighter, the cattle prices start to fall a bit, um, and there's been some concern uh, as to whether there's some sort of market manipulation going on. Uh, one of the things is that this Tyson plant, uh, you know, it produced, you know, it, it processed 5,600 head of cattle a week, you know, and that's about roughly 6% of the nation's beef uh, packing capacity. And so when that went away, it, it, did, uh, it did affect the market. But I think USDA is at a point in the process here where uh, they're not going to take any chances. I think, uh, you know, there's enough of a concern to examine the issue to see what really happens. And, I, and uh, we'll see what happens, although it's, it's not always easy to prove, you know, whether there was any kind of market manipulation. But at least maybe uh, some people will feel a little bit more at ease with, with some sort of an investigation. Are you hearing any more? What What's the latest on the relocation of those uh, two research agencies from D.C. to to uh, Kansas City? What's What's going on with that? Well, we haven't heard a lot. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things that uh, the initial the initial reports coming out were that uh, a number of USDA employees were boycotting, so to speak, and and not going to make the move. Um, and recently, that 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 entire story has kind of uh, kind of gone on silence. And I think, um, you know, I suspect that we're probably going to see a number of employees ultimately decide to, to move uh, to the Kansas City area. Uh, but we're just kind of waiting and seeing on that. Yeah, that uh, that story's been going on for some time, and it continues to kind of drag out. And it's going to be interesting to see the implications of this uh, in the uh, years to come some predicting some you know uh, some real negative impacts and the 
the loss of uh, key people and how that will impact research uh, going forward. So we will see. Well, Todd, plenty to talk about. Uh, We'll get Congress back in session and see if they move on USMCA anytime soon. So a lot to keep us keep us watching here for the next uh, foreseeable future, right, to see what they come up with. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the biggie. If we can get USMCA across the line, I I do think that will make a, a big difference going forward. Yeah, the news not real positive with China right now, so that makes it even right. more critical to get USMCA done. Thanks, Todd. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you, Mike. Staff reporter for DTN, Todd Neely. Well, a lot of attention on the weather with the Hurricane Dorian. How does that impact the rest of the country? We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, well, as we continue to wait to see what happens with China, we did get the good news of a trade deal with Japan. I want to talk about that now with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, thanks for joining us. How significant is this deal with Japan? Well, good morning, Mike, and thank you. Uh, yes, uh, we couldn't be happier. Uh, this, this development, this progress with Japan is is music to our ears. Uh, our largest market for both beef and pork represented about $3.7 billion uh, last year. So, yeah, the, the, the progress made here, the ultimate goal is to get on a level playing field. Uh, while we don't know all the details yet of the agreement, we're confident that this is uh, in progress. And uh, honestly, if we're on a level playing field, we can compete with anybody. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, certainly weather has been a big news story over the holiday weekend and continues uh, still this week as we keep an eye on uh, Hurricane Dorian. Let's talk weather and the impacts of the hurricane with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thanks for being with us. Uh, What's the latest on Dorian and how does it affect uh, the rest of the uh, country, especially the Midwest, when a big hurricane like that's going on? Well, Mike, uh, a lot of it has to do with the track of the hurricane, and uh, at last report that I saw, uh, the storm was a level three, which is a major category uh, hurricane, uh, still uh, progressing very slowly, almost uh, stationary in the western Atlantic around the Bahama Islands. Uh, It's caused uh, just a lot of damage, extensive damage uh, in the Bahamas, and there are some there are some coastal areas in Florida uh, that are getting the strong wind uh, uh, projections out of the eye of the hurricane and then some uh, some storm surge. Now, the last that I checked, uh, there was not a whole lot of rain happening in Florida. Uh, a lot of the rain that was going on was off the uh, coast of Florida, still north of the Bahamas, and it looks like that's uh, still the case. Now, the uh, track of uh, Dorian is going to be just kind of uh, tracing the contour of the southeastern U.S., still staying offshore over its uh, lifespan here during this week and uh, tracking, uh, you know, close but not onshore in the South Atlantic Coast area in Georgia and then the Carolinas and then kind of uh, taking a, a track that moves it toward Uh, the uh, Canadian province of Nova Scotia, the Canadian Maritimes by the end of the week as a tropical low. Uh, So there could be some storm surge um, impact right along the coast and then some coastal rains. But as far as uh, the hurricane's effect on most crop areas, it's been a lot less than uh, than had been feared, you know, a week ago because there was the potential when the storm began, that its track was going to take it just kind of through the middle of Florida and into the interior southeastern U.S. And, and if that had been the case, uh, the damage could have been, uh, you know, just uh, tremendous when it comes to agriculture. And there was even the prospect uh, that was not out of the complete picture a week ago uh, that Dorian could cross Florida, move into the Gulf of Mexico, and then all bets on damage would have been off. Uh, for for ag we know that Uh, but the way things have evolved that's not the case so when we look at the midwest and you've said sometimes these hurricanes can suck all the moisture into that particular area and keep it away from others but we've seen uh, some rainfall here in the midwest uh, and and some really spotty rain i know here in central illinois uh, one area got or in the last few days, got, got three-tenths, and then you go 30 miles away, they got like eight inches. I mean, it's just been uh, that kind of a year. 
It has been. Uh, there's been a, um, a cool frontal boundary over the last 24 hours that has brought uh, that, uh, you know, some shower and thunderstorm action into the Midwest, and we're seeing it right now uh, primarily in northern Illinois, northern Indiana, into parts of southwestern Michigan. And uh, overnight, uh, that uh, front brought some, um, you know, some showers and thunderstorms into the northern Midwest, and uh, there was locally heavy rain in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, overnight. Um, the the uh, action with this, I think, is going to, you know, kind of stay over the northern areas. So we're going to have a, a real big difference uh, uh, depending on where you are located, if you're north of Interstate 80 or south of Interstate 80, because north of 80, uh, that's where the rainfall is going to focus primarily. Uh, south of 80, it's a lot lighter as we look ahead to this week. What about temperatures? Temperatures are going to uh, have generally a uh, normal to below normal track over the northern areas and then normal to above normal south. And again, you can split it pretty much at Interstate 80. Now, the 10-day the, uh, time frame is looking uh, quite promising on the temperature side of things all the way through uh, the entire central U.S. because the upper air chart over the next 10 days is going to be one that uh, has upper air ridging over the Midwest, the Plains, and north into the Canadian prairies. Uh, so that is uh, an indicator that frost is not going to be around over the next uh, 10 days to two weeks. And the way this, uh, this end of the season is acting with uh, so many areas needing a late arriving freeze, you can really only take these uh, forecasts in, in uh, increments of 10 days to maybe two weeks at the very most. But at, at least at this point, we're going to get through the middle part of September without having a freeze. And we'll take that. Um, by the way, over the past uh, week or so, we did a poll here at DTN asking uh, producers to respond with uh, what, what you need for a, a first occurrence of frost, you know, in order to mm-hmm. keep crops from uh, being very badly damaged by cold air. And uh, 42% of uh, our respondents, Mike, said that they need uh, that first freeze to be around two weeks late. And I'm not a bit surprised at that. Last week at the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, when you were talking with producers from uh, quite an area, uh, was that the big concern that most of them uh, brought up when they talked with you? Yes, it was, and uh, no surprise uh, to me at all, because uh, everybody said that that uh, you know that uh, not only do they need uh, a late occurrence of uh, freeze conditions, but uh, more more fellows than I would expect to see on a typical. Um, experience uh, at the farm show when it's in Decatur uh, in uh, central Illinois. More producers than usually uh, I visit with said that they're going to have to uh, do grain drying this year, and they don't expect to start harvest, you know, until maybe into uh, the very end of September at the earliest and uh, more likely into October. And, of course, that's way, way out of uh, a typical realm for central Illinois. Uh, My colleague Pam Smith, by the way, got a picture over the weekend, Mike, near Springfield, Illinois, of of an individual hauling a grain dryer. And uh, so that is just uh, a real example of the kind of... um, uh, of uh, kind of out-of-bounds uh, conditions that we have going on when we think about this crop year. Yeah, and that area got some of that heavy rain I talked about earlier in the last several days. Uh, so 
certainly good news if uh, we can keep delaying that uh, that first frost. So we kind of take it as it comes. So you've kind of given us a two-week window here. Any other big weather system setting up that you see that we should be watching? Well, there's a uh, tropical disturbance uh, off the Texas coast that doesn't look like it's going to be a real big uh, feature at this point. It looks like it's going to uh, just maintain uh, a, a uh, kind of a nondescript uh, character to it. But, um, you know, we, we are not out of the uh, tropical season uh, high point by any means as we go through September. And uh, the fact that uh, this, this one uh, hurricane developed that is uh, so strong and reached Category 5 status, I think, puts everybody on point that uh, there can be these, uh, these storms develop. And, and, again, depending on where they form, uh, they can have a real impact on, on conditions uh, throughout uh, the country as we think about crop areas. And so that's going to be a, a real high point of concern. Another uh, feature internationally, Mike, is that over the next uh, couple weeks, Brazil is going to get more attention because on Sunday, September 15th, is the first official day for Brazil soybean planting to begin. And uh, uh, because of that, uh, we're going to uh, pay a lot more attention to how the rainfall pattern uh, develops in Brazil. Right now they're in their dry season, but last year they had an early end to the dry season, and that got uh, the soil moisture geared up in good shape for soybean planting to get underway. And so they had a very good season for getting crops in the ground early. So that's going to get a lot more focus now as we go through the next couple weeks. Yeah, we'll be watching that closely along with our fall weather here for sure. All right, Bryce, thanks a lot. Good to see you last week in Decatur. That was a lot of fun, Mike. Thanks very much. All right, talk to you again. Take care. Thank you, Mike. You bet. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So, uh, well... That's good news that he had that it looks like at least for the next couple of weeks, uh, no signs of uh, frost. So we keep watching it. As he said, you can't go out with much accuracy too far, but uh, we'll kind of keep those uh, 7 to 10 day windows anyway in, in close view and see where we're at. But so far, so good. Well, we continue to wait. What will be the big announcement by the president? how he's going to deal with the ethanol situation and these waivers, and that has a lot of political pushback uh, from his base. We're going to talk about that next with the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings. What is he hoping to see in a package from the president for ethanol? We'll find out next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 
18 wheelers and large buses have big blind spots and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A defensive tone an hour into the trading day on a Tuesday after a long weekend for the grain and oil seed sector. Corn futures trended lower in the early trade. Traders showing little excitement about Brazil raising ethanol import quotas. Meanwhile, for livestock at the Merck, hog futures have been on the rise long term. The fundamentals said to be bullish, according to the wire talk. A light cash cattle trade was reported in the north last week on Thursday. A full range of 165 to 175 per hundredweight, mostly 170 dressed, roughly $5 lower than the prior week's weighted average basis in Nebraska. For the grain and oil seed sector and soybean futures, new crop November down five and a half, eight sixty-three and a half cent. Corn December down four and a quarter at three sixty-five and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat December down four and a half, four ninety-two and a quarter. Chicago wheat December down four and a half, four fifty-eight. Kansas City wheat December trading at three ninety, down seven and a quarter. Livestock of the Merck and live cattle, a narrow mix. The October contract is down two cents per hundred weight, near unchanged at 98.90. December up 15 at 103.82. Feeder cattle October, near unchanged, in fact steady at 130.80. November up 20 at 130.52. Lean hog futures, October $1.42 higher, 64.92. December up 55, 63.92. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 300. 99 points. NASDAQ composite down 83. The S&P down 15. October crude oil in New York down $2.16. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think... Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. As we continue to wait about this uh, 
big package that's supposedly coming from the White House to help ethanol. We do get some word that it looks like we may be able to sell more ethanol to Brazil. Let's talk about that with the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings. Brian, thanks for joining us. How big of an impact would this deal have? Well, uh, it's an increase in the quota in terms of what we can ship to Brazil, Mike. No doubt about it, but I'll be honest, I was expecting more. Um, under the previous tariff rate quota, um, imports to Brazil, or I should say exports to Brazil, of 160 million gallons or less were um, tariff-free, and anything above 160 million gallons were slapped with a 20% tariff. What Brazil has agreed to do is to increase that quota to just under 200 million gallons. So it's an increase of, of about 40 million gallons, and that's a, that's a small ethanol plant uh, in the U.S. when you think about the, that volume. And so it's a step in the right direction. But, yeah, I'll be honest, I was expecting um, the, the quota to go up by more than that. And it looks like the deal, the way I read it, would only be for a year, right? That's correct. This um, TRQ uh, is is in effect until the end of August of 2020. Um, as you know, and I think a lot of your listeners know, the U.S. and Brazil are uh, in the midst of trying to negotiate sort of a broader trade deal. Part of that. And so I think what this does is probably buys the government of Brazil some more time with which to continue the broader negotiations with the U.S. And, of course, our hope is that we uh, are able to sort of um, take that TRQ down completely. Prior to that uh, Brazil TRQ being established a couple of years ago, Mike, Brazil was the top destination for U.S. ethanol exports. Of course, now we've had to look for two other places. Canada, um, that's still an important customer. China became a big-time customer of U.S. ethanol exports until um, the tariffs and the trade war, of course. And so that market is effectively shut off. So we really need to get this Brazilian market back. We bring this up quite often because I think it gets overlooked. But the, the ethanol industry... Yes, it's been hurt by the waivers, and we're going to talk about those in just a moment. But certainly the industry's been very hard hit by all these trade tensions and trade issues around the world. So hard hit, and particularly with China, Mike. That country is um, working on a very ambitious goal to have E10 nationwide. Now, the original time frame was next year, 2020. China is not going to meet that goal, but E10 demand for about 4 billion gallons of ethanol, 2 to 3 billion gallons of which would need to come from somewhere other than China. And the United States was um, really uniquely poised to be the the top supplier of ethanol to China because of our um, octane, because of our economics. Uh, and, and when those tariffs ratcheted up to 70 or 75 percent under the, the trade war, which continues, um, it effectively shut the door. There are dribs and drabs of ethanol kind of making their way through Indonesia and into China now, but it doesn't, meet, uh, it doesn't constitute a whole lot. And so, absolutely, we, we've had some problems here at home with, with artificial demand on ethanol, but uh, abroad, the, the trade war particularly was 
with China has really uh, taken uh, taken a lot of steam out of out of the ethanol industry here at home. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. All right, Brian, the president keeps uh, talking about this big announcement that's coming uh, that's going to be great for the ethanol industry. Are you getting any uh, uh, advance uh, look into that? Do you have any uh, idea what it might include? Well, we're, we're getting some intel from, um, you know, our, our champions uh, in, in Congress and based on some of the communications they're having with the White House or others in the administration. We know reallocation of these waivers is on the table. That's a very positive development. But what we don't know, Mike, is how much, meaning how much of that volume would be reallocated and, and when would that happen. We know that the 500 million gallons unlawfully waived from the RFS under the Obama um, EPA um, is on the table to get restored, but we don't know when that would be. We're hearing maybe there's some incentives to help the automakers crank out more FFVs, um, but we don't have a lot of detail there. And we're hearing maybe something about blender pumps or infrastructure uh, investment, but again, details are scant. and so. president's tweeting this thing will happen in a, in a week or two. Um, I guess what I would say to your listeners is that this is a really important moment in time when your voice really does matter. And I think the outrage that has been coming from rural America has been, um, been heard loud and clear in the White House, and that's why they're trying to put this sort of response together. And the louder um, we can be between now and whenever this announcement comes out, hopefully the better this response will be for us. So hopefully there's going to be reallocation of lost gallons. But if they're not reallocated till 2021, that kind of even uh, uh, takes away from the impact or the, the, the good news of, of that announcement. Hopefully it's going to be sooner than that. That's right, and, and the timing is really pivotal. And you mentioned 2021. The rumors are the reallocation of some of these waivers would not occur until 2021. That's too late. That's insufficient. Um, and the cynic in me says that that's after the, the 2020 election, mm-hmm. of course, the November election, November 2020 uh, election, and, and waiting until 2021. Um, that doesn't that doesn't get the job done. We've got to have reallocation much sooner than that, and so it's really important that that people speak out uh, and, and try to make some noise about this. Well, obviously, the fact that any kind of an announcement is coming is acknowledgement by the White House that they're they're feeling the heat on this. Uh, but there's always the concern that they're going to overpromise and under underdeliver on this. That's been my concern the whole time, Mike, because there you know whether you love or don't love this president, he tends to exaggerate and he he tends it's sort of his nature to sort of talk big and we we've seen some of this with regards to agriculture already. I mean, I saw something that he said he's made farmers more than whole through the trade mitigation. And uh, as as a son of a farmer, I know that's not true at all. We would rather have those markets and be able to trade than than have the government payments. And so there is the tendency to overpromise and underdeliver. And that's why I keep repeating myself that 
if we can be really loud from rural America and make it clear we need reallocation of these gallons in 2019 and 2020, um, maybe we can try to shape this response package to be something that actually does provide meaningful benefits um, back to rural America to clean up the mess that's been made. And it seems like every tweet or every bit of information we get out of the White House on this, they talk about on one hand how great this coming announcement is going to be for the ethanol industry, but then they always put a line in there while protecting our small refiners. Obviously, he's trying to uh, appease both sides on this, to still take care of the oil industry, and just that line kind of, uh, they're trying to justify or rationalize, I guess, uh, the granting of these waivers. That's right. I think the president and the people that surround him in the White House naively think there is a win-win here, meaning we're going to make farmers completely happy and renewable fuel producers, and then on the other side, we're going to make the refiners completely happy. That's not the world that we live in. And I guess if they believe that 31 small refineries, I think that's debatable, but if 31 refineries uh, earned the right to have uh, a waiver from the RFS uh, blending volumes for the 2018 calendar year, they're going to have to reallocate uh, those gallons. That's the only way to follow the law, and that's the way, um, frankly, to get the win that, that we're looking for. But, yeah, if you keep trying to sort of uh, split this baby, it's, it's, it's only going to cause pain and suffering for a lot of people. And meanwhile, attacks on E15 continue and misinformation, uh, seeing stories out there trying to scare people from using E15, claiming it's going to hurt their uh, their uh, vehicles. Well, now, of course, that E15 can be sold year-round, which is great. We've already seen uh, in some key parts of the country the market responding and volumes increasing this time of year. And so that's good. But, of course, the oil companies, as you indicate, Mike, are going to um, work overtime to provide uh, consumers with misinformation about what you know E15 will or won't do to your car. The truth is, anything 2001 or newer has been approved by EPA to use E15. That's a substantial volume of vehicles on the road today. Um, War covered for for E15 in vehicles that are coming off the assembly lines from the automakers. Um, E15 is not a requirement, of course. You can fill up on straight gasoline or E10, um, and we know it's a safe fuel. We know it's a cost-effective fuel. All right, Brian, thanks. Uh, we'll talk again after we get this announcement from, uh, from the president uh, and see what he has for the ethanol industry. We'll talk again then, okay? Sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. What about the biodiesel side of this? We're going to talk with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. 
They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, the pork industry among those celebrating a trade deal with Japan, but also celebrating a court victory over HSUS. This all goes back to uh, the trademark of pork, the other white meat, and HSUS's attempted challenge to the National Pork Board's 2006 purchase from the National Pork Producers Council of uh, the trademarks associated with pork, the other white meat campaign. Let's talk about this now with Michael Formica with the National Pork Producers Council. Yeah, it has, it's been go, it's been going on a while, but it hasn't been going on as long as the gap between when the contracts were signed and when HSUS many, 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 many years later decided to sue over this. And after uh, after a lot of twists and turns, we uh, we were given a pretty decisive win uh, late last week. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. 
Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we wait to see what the White House will announce as far as uh, a biofuels package. And as we mentioned earlier, there's some reports that he may travel, the president may travel to somewhere in the Midwest. You would think probably an ethanol plant to make the announcement in the coming days. We will wait to see on that. Uh, There is a story out there that uh, the plan they are looking at would add about 875 million gallons to refiners' obligations. But if so, that would be just a third of the volume affected by the EPA waivers. So that probably wouldn't uh, satisfy the uh, all the concerns that are being raised in the biofuels industry. This announcement that the quotas are being lifted for a year so Brazil can buy more U.S. ethanol, while that's good news, we just heard Brian Jennings with the uh, American Coalition for Ethanol say um, they were expecting more. And basically, it's a 40 million gallon increase over the levels we have seen so far. So, um, you know, that helps a little, but that's not a, a major announcement or a major move uh, forward. So. The biofuels industry just still kind of waiting, uh, needing uh, more help uh, at a time that the industry is really hurting. And uh, the biodiesel industry has really been feeling the impact of these waivers. And um, they've written a letter to the White House uh, seeking a meeting, seeking some action on this. Joining us now is Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thanks for joining us. Have you had any response from uh, the White House? Good morning, Mike. Uh, glad to be with you. No, unfortunately, we have not. Um, we are we are in the process of following up with them uh, this week. But as you've seen, the president's tweets talking about a, a blockbuster package to help uh, America's farmers and corn ethanol. Um, it's imperative that the president hear the message from America's soybean farmers and our biodiesel industry that this is not just a ethanol corn ethanol issue that uh, biomass based diesel is is heavily dependent on the, the the predictability and the certainty of the renewable fuel standard and that his actions and epa's actions with granting these exemptions to small refiners has done significant harm to the biodiesel industry and that we have to be made whole in this process we're, we're extremely pleased that uh there was sufficient outrage that that reached the president um, after these small refiner exemptions were granted in early August. Um, I think there were a lot of folks in this administration that thought that 
farmers didn't care or didn't pay close enough attention to the renewable fuel standard. Um, and I think they learned that uh, farmers do care. And when, when you have these types of headwinds in the ag industry and then an administration that committed to support and defend uh, biofuels markets to take this kind of negative action um, had a huge impact. So now granted that we haven't seen the, the contours of, of whatever the president is, is considering. So the devil is always in the details and it's not done until it's done. But I'm just glad that uh, this president got the message from uh, rural America that he was uh, EPA was contradicting his commitment to support the renewable fuel standard. Yeah, so we wait to see what the package will be and whether or not the biofuels industry will think as highly of it as uh, as the president will. So that that remains to be seen. Now, meanwhile, Kurt, there's been a court. Uh, ruling on a case that you brought on RFS volumes. Uh, tell us about that. That's right. So on Friday, we finally got a decision. Uh, this is litigation that we filed way back in 2017 on uh, challenging EPA's setting of the biomass-based diesel volumes for 2018. We took issue with the way that they calculated uh, the volumes that they set. Unfortunately, the court decided that EPA has a great deal of deference in in how they set the volumes and, and denied our request for higher volumes. However, in that same court opinion, the refiners were arguing that the renewable fuel standard causes a significant burden, a compliance burden on refiners, and the court sided with EPA and said um, it doesn't. You're, you're able to recapture all of the costs that you uh, bear under this program. So while we didn't get a win on our uh, volume specifically, uh, the refiners also got quite a rebuke from the court that their claims about um, hardship and burden uh, essentially w- were were rejected. So we, we look at that as a you know kind of a bit of a silver lining in, in this case. Congress coming back after their August recess. Any chance? Any path forward on tax extenders? We're we're surely going to fight for it. Now there are a couple of opportunities this fall. The first one being. Uh, whatever legislation needs to be enacted before September 30th to keep the government funded. We don't think that they're going to be able to pass all of the individual appropriations bills to fund the government for their full fiscal year by September 30th. So if they don't, they'll need to pass some type of a continuing resolution to keep the government open. Uh, That certainly would be a viable vehicle for uh, tax extenders. We're getting mixed signals right now as to whether that will be an opportunity, but, but quite frankly, you know, this industry has been told time and again uh, it's going to get done, just just wait your turn. But the fact of the matter is, and I'm sure you've seen the headlines across the country, uh, the actions both from the EPA and undermining the renewable volume obligations and the uncertainty over the tax credit are, are beyond taking their toll. We have plants uh, shutting down across the country, eight right now that we know are offline, um, and, uh, and significantly reduced capacity at a time when uh, the the rural economy needs all the, the momentum it can get. So we're hopeful that we're able to uh, convey to Congress the urgency and the message that this needs to get done uh, as early as possible. Yeah, it's a critical time, that's for sure. Kurt, thank you for the update, and uh, we'll uh, be back in touch when we find out whatever this package, or this announcement's going to be from the White House. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. You too. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National 
biodiesel board. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at market reaction to all the trade news and the weather news. And we'll also get an update on efforts to keep African swine fever out of the United States. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.